Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, June 25th, 2022. It's been another great week of shows. Though it was a short week, we were not short for topics or contributors. We kicked off the week with a look at how some American Basketball Association former players are struggling without pensions to pay their expenses. Let's take a look. Well, the Dropping Dimes Foundation was an organization that I started with a friend uh, who was a fan of the ABA Basketball League, as was I. Uh, We were encouraged by Mel Daniels, who was a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. He was a great Indiana Pacer here in Indianapolis that played in the ABA. Uh, He was an all-star. He was one of the greatest. Well, he he had told us um, about players that were living under bridges, players that were dying because they couldn't afford medical care. Uh, he told us uh, about several of his former uh, players in the league that, that just couldn't make it uh, in later in life. And so Scott and I, uh, on our own uh, initiative, started this organization. We started a non-for-profit. I was a, not only a fan of the ABA, but I was a ball boy back in the ABA for the Pacers. So... I knew all the old players that are in Indianapolis. We kind of have a Pacer family here with our, our former coach, uh, Slick Leonard, who's a Hall of Famer who recently passed, uh, and probably a half dozen players that live that stayed here. And I've known all of them. I've been part of that family, and we'd get together and do things. Um, so I, I was aware of, of what was going on, and we decided to start this foundation in order to these players who could not make it financially and had needs that, that were unmet um, as a result of uh, the end of their uh, working lives. And the most, and several of them went into the NBA. And if they were there three years, they got a pension. But they never got credit for the ABA years they played. And for the guys that didn't make it to the NBA, when the, or for guys that um, didn't play three years in the NBA, they were left with nothing. Well, there was one during the ABA years, but when the league folded and the four teams went from the ABA into the NBA, uh, the players thought they were going to be getting an NBA pension, and it never occurred. And mm-hmm. in reality, the, you know, all the research we've done and all the negotiations we've had with the NBA, you know, Scott, my partner, Scott, is a uh, merger and acquisition attorney, so he's used to negotiating deals. Um, he's <laughs> taken the uh, the front uh on, on the negotiations and the talks with the NBA to try to help these guys out. They don't have a legal right, but you can argue they have a moral right. And there's, I mean, it's a really precedent because the 19, the pre-1965 NBA players, they did not have a pension in the NBA back then, but the NBA later retroactively gave those guys a pension. And Major League Baseball gave the Negro, li- uh, Negro League players something where they didn't have a, a legal right uh, to have to do it. But, you know, it's the moral thing to do. And, you know, we, we've been in talks with the NBA for quite a while. Scott has. And the reason I, I, this is the first Zoom I've done or, or an interview I've done, not because I don't like doing interviews, but because I work for the NBA. I work for, I'm the team ophthalmologist for the Pacers, and I have been for 36 seasons. And I'm friends with our owner. I don't want to lose. I didn't want to lose my job over negotiating and fighting with the NBA to try to get these guys a pension or some support and try to get the NBA to do the right thing. Um, so because of that, Scott's been doing all the, all the uh, negotiation and we've been in talk serious talks and 
you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, quite frankly, that that Adam Silver and the NBA are, are going to do the right thing uh, fairly soon. But these guys are yeah. dying. I mean, they're they're we buried the last three guys. You know, our our goal was to support the players while they were alive and help them in later years. Uh, and the last three players, we've had to pay for funerals. Um, the the initial and I can speak about this because it was in the paper. Uh, we don't we don't like to give out any names or any stories because of sure. confidentiality. Some guys are uh, embarrassed to ask for help, uh, not you know don't want it out there. And then you know being a physician, I understand about HIPAA and a lot of our a lot of our issues with helping players has to do with medical needs, with drug copays, and you know we had a player who couldn't uh, he had a heart attack and couldn't afford the copay for his cardiac rehab. I mean that's that's the kind of things we're dealing with. But Sam. Um, lived in Indianapolis, even though he, he didn't play here. And um, Scott had a friendship with him because Scott's father, and he worked at the Ford plant uh, for, for several years together. And Sam was uh, living off of, you know, his um, resources that he had available, but it wasn't enough. His daughter um, suddenly died in their 40s, and he couldn't afford the funeral. And that was one of the first things we did for Sam and his family. Then we found out that she had an autistic five-year-old that Sam and his wife, the grandparents, had to adopt and take care of, an autistic child, on limited resources. So we would give him funds to help uh, with Christmas gifts, things like that for the boy, um, so he could you know, have some things uh, from, from the family. And then more recently, Sam had a lot of medical issues uh, and then um, passed and... Um, we have helped with this funeral recently. We also discussed how American retirees are returning to the workforce. So what we did at Magnify Money was take a look at US Census Bureau data from uh, the Household Pulse survey that they do to sort of examine what the labor environment looks like for older Americans. And we're defining older Americans as ages 65 and up. And what we found was that back in 2020, um, about 19.5% of Americans 65 and older were in the workforce still, right, working. We found that by the time we got around to 2022, that number had jumped all the way up to about 22%. So about two, two percentage points. So what that mm -hmm. means, what that's telling us is that there are more Americans 65 and up in the workforce than there were, you know, a couple of years ago. Does that mean that they're just staying in the workforce or returning? We don't have clear breakdown of that. So it could be that some folks went back into the workforce and it could just be that some folks like turned 65 and then stayed in the workforce. Well, I think there are several potential reasons. We, we have not surveyed these folks to find out exactly, you know, why they're still in the workforce or returning to the workforce. But let's look at the sort of, you know, larger environment and, and we can have some clues there. So as you know, uh, like you said, inflation has been just skyrocketing and everything costs more. It costs more to fill up your gas tank. It costs more to fill up your fridge for groceries. Um, so it may be just a matter of necessity where pe folks feel like they just need to work a little bit more in order to keep, you know, to maintain their lifestyle. Um, but we also noticed, obviously, that in 2020, you know, unemployment spiked to almost 15 percent. Um, by 2022, the same time period, 
um, unemployment was down to a low of like around 3.5, 3.6%. So what that tells us is that, you know, it's it's a very competitive labor market and wages have really, really risen accordingly. So, you know, higher pay and higher inflation, those two things coupled together may just make it more attractive for folks to stay in the workforce or go back, back into the workforce. And then let's not forget the big elephant in the room as well, which is that, you know, the stock market hasn't been doing great exactly. Yeah. And folks, you know, have their 401k and their retirement accounts affected. And so they might feel the need to, you, to, you know, combat that by, by just having to work a little bit wrong, a lot, work a little bit longer. Look, we are living to 85, 90, whatever years old. I mean, a lot of folks, I think, actively choose not to retire or continue working because they just want to stay active in whatever field they're in, or maybe they want to try a different uh, career. So, you know, we've, we've talked to people who've said that, that they, they don't, they don't want to just do like, you know, just have like a relaxing retirement. They want to stay like mentally uh, challenged. Not that you can't do that without working. Obviously you can, but um, some folks just, you know, like the idea of, of, of keeping up with their career. Um, one thing that we did find was that the percentage of older workers who are employed by sort of private companies, nonprofits, family businesses, um, that percentage ticked slightly upward over the past two years. And then what was really interesting is that the percentage of uh, 65 and up workers who were employed by the government fell significantly. So it was around 15% back in 2020, and now it's only about 10%. So, um, you know, if you remember in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, employers really tried to entice a lot of older workers to retire in order to sort of trim their payroll costs. And I think the government workers were really no exception. Um, So, 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 and they might not, you know, just, I'm not sure why they are, they're not in government jobs as much anymore, but that could be a factor that, that there was a lot of um, encouraged retirement. But the other thing, the other stat that I found really interesting was that, 26% 26% of Americans 65 or older are self-employed more than any other age cohort. So older Americans are working for themselves in big numbers. Um, compare that with fewer than 10% of workers younger than 40 are self-employed. So that tells me maybe folks are going into business for themselves or, you know, finding another career where they're where they're able to make money but you know not have to answer to like a big corporation or the government well we're halfway through a look at some of our best segments for the week and we come back we'll take a look at the other half you're going to want to stay tuned right here on brn weekly imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. 
but what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Hopefully now you're interested in investing in stocks, which we at The Motley Fool believe is the single best way for folks like you and me to gain what could be truly life-changing wealth. That's why today we've got a special offer for new members. Since the service started, our average stock pick has returned over 600%, and that's over four times the return of the S&P 500. Don't regret not taking action right now. Just enter your email to get started. Welcome back. Next up, we discussed the unfunded pension liabilities facing today's states and municipalities. Let's take a look. Yeah, thanks, Jeffrey. ALEC is the nation's largest nonpartisan voluntary membership organization of state legislators. And we bring together both state lawmakers and business leaders from across the country to exchange ideas and best practices, all with the hope of creating better public policy uh, so that businesses and individuals can thrive in their states. And we're really guided by three principles, and that's limited government, free markets, and federalism. It really is a staggering number. We've seen it go up since the previous edition of our report. We're now on the sixth edition where we compile uh, information from over 290 uh, state reports on pension liabilities from across the country. And like you mentioned, we are up to $25,000 per person, per taxpayer, that we are all on the hook for. And I think there's two really important things. Uh, well, there's a couple of really important takeaways that we want everyone to have from this report. And that's one, we've made pension promises to workers, to state government employees across the country. We need to do everything we can to make sure that we're able to fulfill those promises to meet those obligations because people are depending on that retirement, on those pensions. And two, what can we do to make these pension systems healthier so that we're able to fulfill those promises, but also so that we can respect and take care of our state taxpayers who are ultimately the ones on the hook to pay these unfunded public pension liabilities in the future. And that could happen through tax increases. It may not be you and me, but it could be our children and our grandchildren and future generations that are ultimately on the hook. It's a long time in the making. And you see states like Illinois that use state statute to avoid paying uh, the required contributions to their pension fund. And if you look in our report, you can see what's ended up happening in Illinois. It's that they're really underwater. They've really dug themselves a deep hole. And when you're digging yourself a deep hole, the thing to do is stop digging. States really have an opportunity right now. So many are very flush with cash uh, that has flowed to the states from the federal government during the pandemic. 
now's a great time to start paying down those unfunded liabilities as a first step. Another problem that I think has contributed to this, and I'll use the example of California, we've seen a lot of uh, politically motivated investment strategies where pension managers are taking the funds and investing them for political purposes, for purposes other than maximizing growth and returns. And, you know, I know for me personally, I don't want somebody playing around with my retirement funds in that way. California over the years, they've divested their pension plans from things like traditional forms of energy, fossil fuels. Um, and over the years, what's ended up happening is they've lost out on hundreds of millions of dollars in returns. And right now there's an effort underway in California to divest two of the largest pension plans in the state uh, from fossil fuels. And so that's just one example uh, of how states have kind of been able to dig that hole deeper. Uh, and it's unfortunate for pensioners and taxpayers. We certainly need to continue to do more education. This is one of those issues that it's not commonly discussed. It's not one that often grabs the big headlines. It's not the front page story. And it's something for state legislators that there's often a temptation to kick the can down the road. It's not a popular issue to deal with when you talk about uh, reforming your pension plans or diverting funds that maybe you were, there's a big spending priorities in your state. People are talking about, you know, other priorities, roads, teachers, essential services. There's so many competing priorities in a state budget. But what we need to do is think long-term here. We can't be short-sighted because this really is a looming crisis for many states. And so to your point, and what we really believe at ALEC is, we believe we have a role to play in educating and equipping state lawmakers to understand the magnitude of the problem, but also to begin to address it. As we talk about these unfunded liabilities growing and tax burdens increasing, uh, states that are having to spend more and more of their money to pay these unfunded liabilities. I mean, I talked about Illinois a second ago. They're not meeting their obligations uh, that they're required to pay. But at the same time, they're also paying 25% of their uh, budget towards their pension system. And think about how that can grow over time. I think the natural uh, result of all this is often citizens just leaving a state. If your state is in disarray, from a financial perspective and tax burdens are growing, I mean, you, you'll see businesses, you'll see families look for greener pastures. And finally, planning to take a trip this Independence Day weekend? Well, you may wanna take a look at this next segment where we look at travel tips and what to think about when you're hitting the road. Let's take a look. We're getting close to pre-pandemic levels. The peak year for all travel for us was 2019. Uh, then the pandemic kind of crushed travel. So we're slowly getting back to those pre-pandemic levels, but we're not, not quite there yet. One noticeable thing this year is that we will set a record for the number of people who are going to go by car. Uh, so of the 48 million people who are going to go away for the five-day 4th of July travel period, 42 million are going to go by car. We've never had a number that high before, uh, which is surprising, certainly surprised us, given how high these gas prices are. Now, we're not quite sure why this is. There could be a lot of, a lot of things at play. Um, maybe people are altering where they're going for vacation. They may be opting more for like what I've heard someone call near vacations. 
Nearcations. Uh, so they want to go away, but they're not going quite as far. So it's, it might be more advantageous just to go by car. Uh, and also, people have had six months to sort of watch the airline industry and see what's been going on with the, you know, staffing issues and delays and cancellations due to bad weather. And they may be figuring, you know what, I think I'm going to go by car this year. Considerably more people are going to go by, uh, by bus and by train and even some cruises this year than went last year. I think last year, it was like 900,000 people went by the, went by those, one of those alternate uh, types of travel for 4th of July. And this year, it's going to be close to two and a half million. So that's considerably more people this year. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we hit 501, the national average hit 501. Now, remember, some states wish they were paying $5, like California, but, uh, but the national average did hit 501 about nine days ago. And since then, it's been coming down every single day, and we're down to 495 now, which is, you know, not exactly reason to celebrate, but it's, it's, been dropping, which is which is a little bit of a relief for drivers. Well, you know that again, that really surprises us that what the sheer number of people who are opting to travel by car for this Fourth of July. But then you start looking at the costs of everything. You know, airfares are more expensive, hotels are more expensive. The only thing that we've seen actually less this year than last year is uh, rental cars. The the great rental car crunch of last year has sort of, for the most part, dissipated. Uh, so rental car prices are a lot better this year than they were last year. But everything else is more expensive. And yet people, have, particularly gas, but people have decided, you know what, I still need to get away. So that could be a little bit of sort of the psychology of COVID coming into play. People have, people were kind of locked down for two years and the urge to get out, the urge to see family, the urge to have an experience is outweighing uh you know, costs overall. Well, yeah, well, when people book through us uh, and they take advantage of triptychs, and you know, a lot of folks remember the, the classic triptych where you'd kind of flip through on your route and everything was a little sort of highlighted with a marker for you. Uh, those are all online now. So you can, you can literally have your triptych on your phone and it operates the same way. Uh, and it also, if you're looking at the map and on the AAA app, it will show you gas station prices along the way. And you will be really surprised at the disparity of gasoline prices, sometimes just for some grim kicks. I will look at what gas stations are charging around me and it can be a 40 to 50 cent range. Uh, so you can, you can actually save a fair amount of money by you know, paying attention to those yeah paying attention to those gas prices on your app, on, on your AAA app. Well, certainly great segments. I want to thank all of our great contributors this week. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, all in one place, check out today's edition of our free daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website and, of course, our streaming partners, we're back again tomorrow for BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by members of the media, academia, and financial services as we take a look at all the latest news and events. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform 
and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts, so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Are you being audited? And do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The Tax Doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The Tax Doctor will work with you using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a tax doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-224-6439.